Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Welcome to True Fiction, the podcast that talks to creative people and finds out where all that creativity comes from. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs. Joining me are True Fiction co-hosts, two incredible individuals who are as talented as they are unique. Together, Norbert and Marshall bring a wealth of knowledge and experience to the table, making them the perfect co-host for this podcast. How's it going tonight, fellas? Great. Doing good. Before we dive into tonight's episode, I'd like to remind our listeners to subscribe from their favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode of True Fiction. You never know when our talk will ignite your creative spark. Tonight's guest is no stranger to the creative process. She is a number one New York Times, number one USA Today, and number one international best-selling author of over 20 award-winning novels, including 10 New York Times and 13 USA Today bestsellers. Her work has been translated into 41 languages with over 20 million copies of her books in print. She is a number one bestseller in 29 countries, she has served as the 22nd president of Romance Writers of America and presently serves on the board of directors of the Authors Guild and the Authors Guild Foundation. True Fiction is honored to welcome Sylvia Day to the show. How's it going tonight, Sylvia? Wonderful. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you coming on. That is a heck of a resume. <laughs> I've been doing this for 20 years, so after a while, people start to say, hey, since you know so much, why don't you join the board and help us out? And it's always a great learning experience for me, and I just am happy to help any other author in any way that I can. I want to jump right into it because I was listening to your, your CV there, and I was thinking about when you're a best-selling author, when you're writing, and this may have changed from when you started to now, but are you writing for someone in mind, like a group of people, or do you try to satisfy what you think their expectations? Are you simply trying to write something that satisfies your expectations? When I write a story, I write the story that I want to read. And then I just hope that it finds an audience that wants to read the same thing. For example, my last series before this one that I just started was a very intense contemporary romance. It was very popular. That's, it was a global bestseller and it was really great. My new series is a completely different genre change. So a lot of my existing readers are like, whoa, I don't know. Do I want to get into mystery and suspense? Do I want to not read a romance? Am I really invested in reading? A romantic story from Sylvia, it was a risk and I had to take it because that was the story that I wanted to tell. Very good. I actually had my wife read So Close and it was so funny because she didn't know anything about it other than, hey, I get to talk to this fabulous writer and would you check out this book? And she did and she said, oh, that's really cool. She said, I think there could be a second one. I said, yeah, <laughs> there will be a second one. <laughs> will there be more than two? No. No, it finishes with the second book. Oh, wow. So how do you cultivate creativity in your writing process? 
How does that work? I think it started really because my mother was a single parent and she's a registered nurse. And at the time, she's originally from Japan. So she immigrated to the United States and it was just her and I. And the shifts that paid the most at the hospital were the night shifts. So she worked all night. So I would go and stay at a friend's house and then she would pick me up first thing in the morning. And if I didn't have school that day, I'd have to sit and be really quiet because she would have to sleep. Her night was my day and that sort of thing. And when you're kind of young and alone and you have dolls and books and you have to keep the TV off because it would be kind of disturbing for her sleep, you just naturally build an imagination to entertain yourself with. She had a whole stack of encyclopedias that we bought from one of those traveling encyclopedia salesmen that come to your door. And I read through all of them. And then I read through the dictionary. And from there, it's just like your mind starts inventing bits and pieces, piecing them together and turning them into stories. So I was always daydreaming. Once I got into school and I was writing during class, taking notes. Recently, we moved. And in the process of moving boxes, we found just tons, just a huge amount of these binders filled with these stories that I had been writing with this little tiny child handwriting. And I was like, I cannot believe you have kept all of these stories like my whole life. And my mom had just brought them over one day and we put them in the garage and I never bothered to look in them. And then when we're moving, I'm like, wow, look at this. But it's just always been there. I'm always making up stories in my head. I tell my kids all the time because they'll be like, are you listening to what I'm telling you? And I'm like, I'm trying really hard, but there's a lot of people talking (laughs) one time and I have to like beat out what everybody's trying to say. I just um, have always had it. When you write, are you having conversations with the characters? Yes. And sometimes I do it out loud. So it's fine when I'll be in the kitchen and I'm making dinner and nobody's in the kitchen with me and I just am starting to have these conversations. And then my kids will walk in and then they'll immediately turn around and walk back out again. (laughs) I had one time when I was in my office writing and my son had a friend over and I was yelling at the character for having done something that I wasn't expecting that kind of threw everything out. And I was so upset about it. And his friend, I could hear his friend in the kitchen going, dude, your mom is really pissed right now. And he (laughs) goes, yeah, she's just talking to her book again. (laughs) So, you know, it's just when I get stuck, people say, what do you do when you get writer's block? I have to stop. I start interviewing the characters. Why aren't we moving forward with this scene? Why aren't we getting somewhere? Or am I going in the wrong direction? It's your story. So you tell me what you want me to do. And sometimes that takes just a few hours. And sometimes it takes a few days. And sometimes it's even taken a few months where I'll be like, maybe I don't even want to tell this story anymore because I'm not getting anywhere with these guys. And typically I find that that's because somewhere prior to that, I inserted my own agenda into the story and it doesn't work for the character. So the character's like, uh-huh. well, you know, what? you're writing your own book. So you just go on. You don't need me. And I'll be like, OK, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I'll go back. I'll fix <laughs> it. I do need you. It's your story. Tell me how to tell me how to write it. That probably answers my next question, which was, do your characters sometimes just do things they want to do? And they don't even, that seems to take the story a different place you weren't even thinking about. All the time. 
all the wow. time. And sometimes it's so frustrating. And sometimes I'll be like, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> it's often the point where readers will go. And when that happened, I was like, wow, Sylvia did it again. And I'll be like, no, there wasn't any. <laughs> I had nothing to do with that. The character did that. And I was just as shocked as you were when it happened. It's awesome. You start a series or you start a book. I'm always fascinated by what triggers that. Is it a character? Is it an interesting character or somebody like somebody you see and you go, that's kind of an interesting personality. What if I build a character from that or there's a situation that interests you and, oh, that's a, that's the start of an idea. What gets you going on a book? What comes first, the concept of the situation that you want to put them in or the characters that you want them to go into any situation? Usually happens one of two ways. One is the idea comes out of the shower head. So when I get a lot of ideas in the shower, so I tell people that, Sometimes the idea comes out of the shower head. I'll be in the shower. And I think it's just a point where your mind is just shut off. You're just doing just a basic mindless task. Subconsciously, something comes out and it's typically a whole scene. And I can oh, wow. see it almost like a trailer for a movie. I can see all the characters. I can see what they're wearing. I can smell what's going on in the room. And it's typically a moment of conflict. So then at that point, I'll have to be like, okay, so now I need to interview these two people and say, who are you? Where are you? Why are you in this moment? That sort of thing. And other times it's just like an incident. So this past weekend, I was in Denver for a reader's convention and I'm on the fourth floor and somebody starts shouting outside on the street. And it's kind of like panicked, angry, it was just crazy how loud it was, this one person. And I looked down and they're in the middle of the street. There's no cars going around. I'm in downtown Denver. So it was a little weird to look downstairs and not see anybody besides this guy. And immediately in my head, it's, it's an apocalypse and everything is shut down. And now, now I have to get out of this convention with all of these readers and all of these authors. And we're like in this moment of disaster. So then, then the story starts running from there, just from a guy that was angry about something that had happened just down on the street. I think it's a combination of an interesting incident and an overactive imagination. The situation typically comes first for you. When you populate your characters, do you find yourself writing characters based on people you've interacted with or in different forms of media or do you it just you soak up all these kind of different people that you've been around and then out comes this character do you consciously think about your characters and like how they come from or do they just come from you absorbing humanity and okay i want to make a person like this and they're they typically have these kind of characteristics. So each character is very unique to me. And a lot of readers will go, okay, if somebody made a film out of this book, who are the actors you would have to play this part? That's very hard for me to say because in my head, I can see the character and it doesn't look or sound 
or move in any way like anybody that I know. That said, sometimes I will pick up quirks from people that I know or people that I've met or somebody that I've observed when I'm in the airport, a complete and total stranger, some movement, some tone of voice, some way of saying something will fit a character. And at that point, I will consciously kind of give them that quirk to humanize them. But for the most part, they just are who they are. And getting to know them is a real interesting process for me. What a great place to people watch an airport. I just am fascinated every time I go with all the different people there. Absolutely. I was wondering yeah. what you're doing. Bad we can't just go into an airport and sit and people watch anymore. You have to yeah. have a ticket. You have to be going somewhere. <laughs> they frown on that these days. You have a need for structure and planning in your stories, but you also probably desire spontaneity and innovation. How do you balance that? I'm what they call a pantser. So I write by the seat of my pants. I start with that one scene that sparks the idea, and then I have to build outward from there. That scene rarely fits at the start of the book. It's typically somewhere in the middle or toward the end. Sometimes the scene doesn't end up in the book at all. It's just like a jumping off point for me to write the rest of the story. The whole thing is, I would say I'm more of a narrator than a creator. It just comes out. I've tried to plot, but then I'm like, oh, I already wrote the book, so I don't want to write it anymore. <laughs> I already know what's going to happen. I have to be surprised by the process. I try to keep as little structure as possible so that I can be spontaneous at the time that I'm writing. I've found that I sometimes I've had an editor who'll be, could you give me like a basic synopsis, just like a general idea? And then when I turn in the book, it's nothing like that. So eventually my editors were like, okay, we're not even going to ask you to tell us what you're going to write because you don't know. <laughs> you really don't know. And I, I don't. It's amazing to me that it's been 20 years and I still have not found that process to not work for me. It's just the way that, that I write. I remember reading an interview with Michael Crichton and he said that Initially, he was big into Arthur Conan Doyle, the Sherlock Holmes Black stories Holmes. and that stuff. And so eventually he got to the place where all he was basically, he said, I just read abstracts of, of scientific things and in order to get ideas and that sort of thing. And I was wondering for you, you're in the romance area. Do you find yourself interested in what other romance authors are writing or do you find more fertile ground for you to be entertained or just absorb ideas of any sort in other areas whether it be a different genre or whatever so i never read in the genre that i'm writing for me if i'm writing a contemporary romance i will not read any contemporary romance at that time I'll read horror, I'll read historical fiction, same thing, like I won't watch any romantic comedies. Yeah, it has to be a complete vacuum for me where I'm, what I'm writing is the only similarity to the genre that I'm into. And I, I don't, I don't want to cross pollinate in any way, even subconsciously. So I try not to. 
So I get ideas from all sorts of things. I get ideas from movies that I watch. And I'm a big, I say, I'm a big, dumb, blown up action enthusiast. It doesn't even need to have a plot. It could be totally nonsensical. I just want a lot of explosions and action, and I'm really happy with it. So people go, oh, did you see this romance movie? And I'll be like, no, I can't. I'm not interested in watching a romance movie ever. Not just when I'm writing, but ever. So I take bits from everywhere, from all sorts of different things. But I read all sorts of different things, too. What genres have you written in? I've written urban fantasy, science fiction, futuristics, historicals, mystery and suspense, So Close and Too Far, which are the books that are coming out this year, is domestic thrillers without romance. So I kind of hop around all over the place. I like to write whatever the story dictates. When that scene comes to me, I look at it and go, what time period would make this conflict more intense? If I said it in the past, would it be more or in the future or even right now? Whatever. And I go from there. When you research that, do you find that you need to dive in and explore? Oh, I have a half a notion that the Revolutionary War would be great for this because of this sort of tension of or civil war, family tensions between the North and South. Or do you go, okay, I'm going to commit to going doing this, and then I'll research it once I start writing the story. No, I have to know if it's going to work and be plausible before I start. Now, there's sometimes where, like, in So Close, the heroine, one of the three major heroines, has disassociative amnesia. So that took a few weeks to research how that would be legitimate how that would fit in and whether it would fit in with the story. Ooh, that sounds like a great idea, but does it actually work? And can I make it work? I'll have to do research on that. Historicals, of course, everything, everything. What type of windows even? Is she going to push up a sash? Is she going to push the door, the windows open? Like what was prolific during that time period? All of that, that historicals are really research intensive but that doesn't mean that contemporaries the freest i've ever been is probably with fantasy because then i can make up everything all the rules are completely mine and then i just have to follow my own rule book but even then sometimes you'll have to look and say okay just because i'm making this up is it plausible for this thing to exist so there's always a little bit But once you get into a long-running series about the same thing, then, of course, it kind of loosens up a little bit. You just follow your established rules. I think with that following up, having written so many books, did you always know the stories were in you? Or is it something that it's built up over time, kind of like a creative muscle that it became easier and easier to become prolific? No. I, I get slower as time goes on. When I first started... I was releasing four single titles and two novellas a year. And it was easy for me to keep that pace. I could write multiple books at the same time. So I'd work in one until I hit a point and then I would switch over and work on another one and turn in four manuscripts at the same time. As I've gone on, I make it more complicated. I make the characters more complicated, the stories more complicated, more intricate. 
that's just how my writer evolution has gone on. But there was a point in time about 2010 when I thought that I had run out of ideas. I had been working on a novel under deadline and it wasn't going anywhere. I was just staring at this blinking cursor for six months. And finally, I reached out to the editor and I said, you know what? Maybe I had that flood of work that just came out of me when I started. And maybe that's all there was. Maybe it was like a dam that broke and all the water's out now and there's nothing left. I need to just find a new passion. And my editor, who'd been in the business for a very long time, she's a legend, Kate Duffy. She said, when's the last time you read a book? And I said, well, I really don't have time. I'm putting out four books and two novellas a year. When do I have time to read? I barely have time to see my family or to eat or anything else. And she goes, if you're not reading, you're not writing, period. That's where you refill the well is by reading work. Because then when you finish a book that you enjoyed, that feeling of, we call it a book hangover, being sorry that the story's over, that there's no more to read, that feeling makes you want to write. And after a while, if, if you're not kind of getting to that point as a reader, you're not going to get the desire to write as a writer. So that's one of the things that I learned at that point. And I tell other writers that all the time in keynotes, I'll go, what's your number one piece of advice? Keep reading. You have to keep reading. If you stop reading, you will stop writing. So at that point, I learned to make time for reading. And I got back into it. She says, I'm going to give you two weeks. And then I'm going to call you in two weeks and we'll see where you're at. And for that two weeks, do not turn on your computer. All I want you to do is read. And so that's what I did. I just read for two weeks straight. I picked old books that I knew I loved that gave me that feeling when I got to the end of it. And she was right. When she called me two weeks later, she goes, how are you doing? I said, I'm 100 pages from the end. I'll have it to you next week. <laughs> and that was the learning lesson to me. I can keep writing for the rest of my life, but I also have to keep reading. That's a fantastic answer. So have you felt that at later times also? And that was the break was just to continue reading? Yes. And I have had sometimes where I'll have an editor that will email me and say, hi, Sylvia, this writer would really love for you to quote her book. You know, you're really busy and I know you're under deadline, so I can totally tell her no. And I'll, I'll tell the editor, no, I'll send it to me. I need to keep reading. I know you think that if I just put my head down and work on this book that it's going to get done, but it doesn't work that way. You have to keep reading. So go ahead and send that to me and I'll just keep on plugging away. I'm fascinated by what you said when you, when you talked about as you've went along the process, you've gotten slower. I've got two different competing ideas, like two thoughts on this. And one is when you try different things, when you're trying that new thing, it becomes more time consuming. And then you, as you master something, you want to do more difficult things. You want to make the project that you give yourself. I do illustrations and I'm branching out and doing some oil paintings for a book for illustrations. And I'm making it purposely harder because I want the challenge and either I can do it or I can't do it. And so I'm slowed down by this process of 
trying this new thing. And I wondered if that was analogous to what you were saying about getting slower, or maybe both of these things are true. You're increasing your audience, or you have a, a big audience, and it's kind of like we reviewed John Wick 4, and it was bigger, and it had more action, and it had more locations, and it was really cool, but it was, as Pat noted, was getting a little bit more ridiculous in some ways, but it's still fun. But because they was trying to top themselves, they didn't want the audience. It's like they feel like they have to top themselves. And I just wondered if either of those two things were something that you felt, or is there something different for the reason why it takes more time to produce a novel now? I'm definitely more of a perfectionist now. And I feel that, especially coming off of a beloved series that was a huge bestseller, that you have a sophomore slump even 20 years into your career that readers are expecting you to reach a particular level. And it might have been the reason why I just completely shifted genres and went straight into domestic suspense and stepped out of romance entirely because the comparison was going to be there no matter how I did it. And then, of course, by, by switching to a, a new genre for me, that was usually I write a book from beginning to end. I'm a linear writer and I get to the end and I'm done. I wrote nine drafts of So Close. Nine. Oh. And the editor was like, Sylvia, you gotta send me the book. I'm sure it's great. And I'm like, it's not. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I still got more to do. And to turn it in and go, this is really rough. And have your editor go, no, it's actually really polished that's because you know i went over it nine times but i'm still feeling like it's new do i know what i'm doing am i doing it well do i have something new to to give to this genre because if i'm not going to bring something new to the table i probably shouldn't be writing it and that was actually a question i asked my editor if this is not great i will put it under the bed and write something else I'm happy to do that. The pressure of knowing that readers want you to continuously maintain a high standard, right? And you personally want to meet that standard. And then you also want to exceed it. I would say that if you reach a point in your writing career where you feel like, oh, this is easy. I can knock a book out in a day. You probably should stop writing. You need to keep challenging yourself and pushing yourself and trying different things and deepen that characterization, widen the plot, get your description better, all those things, and then nitpicking at them. That really has taken a lot more time. Now, sometimes I go back to some of my earlier works and go, oh, look how easy breezy this was. Oh, and I kind of missed that, that just kind of outpouring Instead of just nitpicking every sentence and every paragraph and every chapter and moving things around. But on the other hand, that process of really focusing on the craft of the storytelling and the wordsmithing is what keeps me as the creator interested in what I'm doing. You know, if I'm interested in it, then I think that reflects in the work for the reader. So after what you just said, I really am wondering, 
after you finished Crossfire, which was just such a huge hit, that series, how did you then approach writing something else, knowing that you had this uber legion of fans that loved Crossfire and probably wouldn't have minded if it would have continued? There is definitely that. And readers still continue to ask me to go back and continue that series and to keep writing about those characters because they don't want to let them go. And I love that. But I took a big break in between. The last Crossfire book came out in 2016. I released a novella in 2019. So that was already a three-year gap. And then I didn't deliver so close to the publisher until March of last year. So it was a big, long break. And part of that was because the demand for Crossfire was so intense. I put out five novels in four years, and each one of those was over 100,000 words. One of them was like 125,000 words. And the readers were so upset that it was taking me so long to put out these books. And I'm going, come on, guys, this is five books in four years. And long books, deep, involved books. And the demand on their end sometimes was brutal. I had readers who were like, while you're on your next book tour that I'm paying for because I buy your books, you're not writing the next book. And that sort of negativity, when it's coming from, you have 20 million readers of a series and... Even if 1% of those readers are like that, it's overwhelming. It's just a lot. And so I just had to step away and just take a break. I'm like, you guys need to be without me for a few years. I need to be without you for a few (laughs) years. And absence makes the heart grow fonder. And then, you know, we'll come back and try it again. It's really a lot. There was so much positivity to it and so many life-changing stories, so many personal stories that readers shared with me over the course of, of writing that series. Just being pulled out of everyday situations that were really unbearable for them and finding some sort of relief in reading my work was wonderful. And those far outweighed the negativity, but the negativity was there and it was a lot. It was like I had to step back from that and really get to a point where being creative felt like a positive process. Wow, yeah. It's almost like you're owned by those people. They definitely felt a sense of entitlement and I don't know quite how that works. I would really be interested in figuring that out or having an expert kind of explain that to me. But there was there was definitely the sense that they were entitled to that next story on the timeline that they wanted it. And if I became not the provider of the story, but the impediment to it. Oh, wow, yeah. Or in the way of me getting the next book. And it was like, I can only be creative so much and write so fast and five books in four years is really not that slow in the pace and come on george r R. martin takes five years to to put out the one book (laughs) 
Um, and still hasn't finished his theory series. <laughs> yeah. And I maybe before I was a writer, I would be like, can't, you know, too busy doing his thing to to write the next book. I don't know. Would I have felt that way? I hope not. But definitely being on this side of it, I have a lot of sympathy for that. When I see people, so, oh, he's too busy with his Game of Thrones TV series to write the next book. See, you don't know what it takes for the author to be creative and write that work. And the reason why they're not just cranking it out is because they want it to be really good and they want it exactly. to make you happy when you get it. Protecting the creative process is really important. I will say that I remember I love the Dresden Files. I don't know if you know heard of okay. that series by Jim yeah. Butcher. And he had, I think he said he had 20 cases that he was going to do. And... Uh, in 2017, he had he had some things going on in his life, and he didn't write. And then I remember him, we saw him at a convention, and he said, I was in my trailer, and we was doing construction on the house, and that's the reason why I, there was too much construction, and I couldn't write. And I was like, okay, I would rather you say, man, I'm just burnt out, I guess. I would, instead of saying something trivial, like why kind of an excusey thing, like telling your teacher that the dog ate my homework, just say, I didn't do my homework. I would have rather heard, heard that. I was kind of disappointed. I was like, okay. I kind of lost interest of the series after that, because it was like, when he finally come back to it, I was like, eh, no, it didn't seem like you was that interested in doing that and being forthright and just say, man, I'm, I've got a crazy life right now i want to try a different thing i would have heard that and i went well i can dig it but i heard him say i had construction in the house and i was in a trailer and i couldn't write and i was thinking you probably could have got farther away from the house construction <laughs> road if you if that was the issue and so i i just know that i feel like if you just for me as a consumer of media, just be honest with them. If you don't got something going on, you say, hey, I've hit a creative block. I go, okay, all right, I can dig that. Or I'm burnt out right now. I understand that. I understand all those kind of things. Just don't give me a, a dog ate my homework kind of excuse. Then I get kind of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Transparency is really important. Um, there have been times where... I wasn't fully transparent because it was too raw at the time. An example of that was my mom was diagnosed with cancer. So we went through chemo and all that. It was too raw for me to get on social media and say what was happening. But I also didn't make an excuse. It was just I have things going on at home and my focus needs to be with my family right now and readers could understand that uh without me having to go into complete here's my whole personal life story but transparency is very important i have found that as long as you're transparent with readers about what's happening they can accept that and they can understand that the thing is unfortunately is with the algorithms and everything else like that you end up writing a post saying this is what's going on 
this is why something's taking a little longer, whatever. One percent of your followers see it, and then the next day the question comes up again, and the next day the question comes up again, and then after nine months, you start going, I can't answer the same question every day. I don't know how to disseminate this information to you so that you all get it in a timely manner, and I'm not repeating myself. But yeah, absolutely, I agree with you 100%. The readers, are, they understand humanity. And as long as you're forthright about what's going on, I think people would totally understand if George R. R. Martin said, the reason why is because I'm putting my creativity into this TV show. When they don't know what's going on, then, you know, then they start to resent that, not knowing what's happening. Are you not going to write this series anymore? Just say it. Let me know. Do you not feel, are you done? That, that's or I have a creative dilemma and I'm having trouble figuring out a solution that will satisfy me and the fans. And well, I'm not I, there yet. And for whatever reason, I'm hitting a block. I can do yeah. I'm going to back up Jim Butcher just for a second here because although that's what he said, we also know that he got a divorce, found another companion. So I have speculations. I speculate first, like you said, yours was raw. His might have been too new. He didn't want to talk about that. Also, this is what scares me about writers sometimes, especially the writers that you love. What if after he divorced, he was either too emotionally distraught or when he found somebody else, he said, I want to live a little. I don't want to just be a slave to the work. I want to enjoy this new relationship. So I, like you said, Sylvia, I think there's a lot of reasons that writers and anybody that are public figures, they may not want to tell everything. I understand that you don't want to hear, ah, I was in a trailer and it was too loud. But for me, I want to respect their privacy. Now, I will say one thing, Sylvia, is that you do have some amazing fans. I've been to some of your sites and I looked at your documentary trailer and these people you're changing lives it's so amazing the effect you have on these people did you ever think that your writing could be so important to other people um yeah no my goal when i sit down to write a book is to entertain you right and hopefully i can get you to suspend disbelief long enough that you just vacate your personal life and you live in this world that i've created for you as long as it takes you to read the book that was my goal i don't write self-help i'm not trained to, to teach anybody anything but on the flip side of that is i write very flawed characters because for me knowing that a character recognizes an internal flaw and works to mitigate that is very profound. I look for that in my friendships as well, that openness to say, okay, I could have done that better. Let me try to figure out how to do that. And writers naturally instill in their characters traits that they admire. Protectiveness is another one of mine, a fondness for family. And sometimes it's not the family you're born with. A lot of times for my characters, it's a family that they choose. Those themes kind of come into the story. Readers connecting to them, connecting to those traits 
and also situations that the characters have been through and then how they move beyond that situation. I did not expect that to be affirming, but it's so wonderful that it has been and that readers have found ways to take parts of that story and empower their personal lives to take part of that and improve their lives. It's, it makes what I do even more valuable to me. I do it because I love it. I write stories because I love to write. If I can change somebody's life in a positive way, it's not my goal. It's not what I'm trying to do, but I'm so grateful that happens. Absolutely. I got a final question, I think, for you is, do you enjoy writing more now, less, or the same as when you started? It was definitely easier. <laughs> it was easier when I started, and sometimes easy is nice. It's not so torturous, which sometimes for me it can be. If I'm working on the same chapter, the same 10 pages for a month, you reach a point where you're like, what am I doing? On the other hand, I think I'm a better writer now. Um, and I think I'm still finding ways to improve what I'm doing. And that to me is very fulfilling. I find the challenge and meeting that challenge to be a large part of why I enjoy writing books is looking at, okay, what could I do better? How do I do it better? And does it still contain the same magic as the ease, right? You still want it to look easy for the reader. You don't want them to sit there and go, oh, she really labored over this one. Making it harder for me, but also making it look easy for the reader. That challenge is what keeps me invested in writing. Otherwise, I feel like if I weren't challenged by what I was doing, I probably would have moved on to something else by now. Very nice. Do you have creative outlets outside of writing? And if so, can you talk about if they've helped in your writing or how they've helped in your writing? I wish. I can't paint. I can't sing. I really lack the rhythm for dancing. I, for me, really, my one creative thing is that I invent people in stories and that it's just like constantly happening in my head. But just life. I travel a lot. I love to travel. I take a lot of trips with friends. I'm really fortunate that I have a lot of lifelong friends, some army friends, friends that I met before I got married, friends that I met through my marriage. Then we travel all the time. This year, every month, I'm on the road somewhere for fun with friends. And all of those experiences inform the stories that I write. So I think that for me is what keeps the creative juices flowing. I really wish I could do something else. <laughs> Not that I would do it in lieu of writing, but it would be great. My daughter can draw and she's really beautiful at it. My son can sing. I don't have any of those skills. <laughs> but you got to pass them down to them. So they got them somehow. Maybe for me, maybe they got them from their dad. I'm not sure. And my son actually is a really good writer. And so when he was in school, his teachers would tell him, this is really well done. Have you thought about being a writer? And he's like, oh, I can't do what my mom does. I can't sit there in front of a computer and make up a whole story. But I'm hopeful. 
(laughs) (laughs) I would love for him to do that because he is really quite talented at it. That's always great. My last question is going to be, I know a lot of people probably, a lot of your fans are, it's just like a musician. If you're a really good musician, you have fans that want to be musicians and they want to emulate you. And I would imagine that you have a lot of fans that are writers. And I was wondering, do you think that the creativity that you have in writing, can that be taught or is that a natural thing that only you can only have it if you have it? We've had this discussion over the years at various writing conventions. It was actually Jim Butcher's first wife, Shannon Butcher, who I knew she was also with my former literary agent. And she had the thought that creativity and creative writing is something, it's a skill that you could acquire and you can build on that. I've always thought that you do have to have some innate talent for it. I could possibly teach myself how to paint. Would it have the same fire and energy and passion as somebody who they have to put it out there? They can't not. I feel like, yes, you could probably learn the mechanics of writing if you took the time to do that. With the overall creativity of the story really be there i i doubt that to be honest with you i think you have to have that imagination some people are great storytellers and not great wordsmithers some people are really great wordsmithers and not great storytellers finding that combination between the two is a mixture of skill and talent that's what i think nice i said that was my last question but i've got another one have you ever co-written with somebody No, I've done anthologies where, you know, me and a group of writers will say, okay, let's come up with a theme and then we'll each write a story to fit that theme. But I haven't written with anybody else. I find it fascinating, the writers that do teams like that, where, and typically one person has a very strong skill set, the other person has a skill set that is also strong, but in a different area. And the two of them combined can create a really great story. I've never actually had the opportunity to even do that. My editors are, are not inclined to have me do that, but it'd be fun. And never say never, right? Right. I, that's what I say about everything. People go, are you ever going to go back to this character? I never say never. Maybe it'll happen. Sylvia, this has been a blast. I've really enjoyed talking to you and all the insights you've given us on your career and your creativity. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I always love talking shop. It's so fun. So close. Is that out now? Yes, it came out last Tuesday, March 28th, at least in the United States. Elsewhere in the world, it released on Thursday, March 30th. Oh, wow. Okay. I know there's sylviaday.com. Is that a good place for them to get it or just they just go to Amazon or? Yeah. So my site, I don't sell books on my site. They are available wherever books are sold. So that would include like your Costco's, your Walmart, your Target's, as well as I strongly encourage people to visit their local independent bookstores, find the the indie in your town and go there. It's always great. But what you can find on my website is handy links, right? So on, on each one of my bookshelf pages, they'll say, do you want to read this digitally? Here's Amazon, here's Kobo, here's Barnes & Noble, Nook, so on. 
do you want to read the paperback? This is all the vendors and the links. So you can just click right on it and go, I like to buy my books from Barnes and Noble. It'll take you right there. Uh, same thing with the audio book. So it's a, a one-stop shop to direct you to the vendors that are carrying the book so that you can order it online. There's also a lot of good information about you on there, which I appreciate it. You have a, a really amazing career. You just blow me away how prolific you've been. So it's, it's been a real honor to talk to somebody that's prolific and works so hard at their chosen artistic profession. Thank you. They always say that if you love something, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I can't say that's 100% true because it is, <laughs> it is work, but I do. I love it. I feel so fortunate that I have found readers who want to read the same type of books that, that I write. And we can share that between us. I feel really blessed being around 20 years into my career is it's hard. There's a lot of writers that longevity is very hard in this business. And I've been really fortunate that the readers have stuck with me all this time and that they recommend my books to other readers, which enables me to find new readers. Hopefully some of our listeners will become new readers of your books. So the thing I like about So Close, and I've read through it a little bit. I just love it's a world I'm not familiar with. Big business. It's got this very intriguing story that is a mystery kind of thing going on. And it was really cool. So Thank I'm, I wish you nothing but the best on that. Thank you. I've had a few readers say that it's like secession and I haven't watched it yet. So I'm, that's, it's on my list of things to watch. But yes, definitely that sort of big power family who are more dangerous to each other than they than the threats they face from the outside i liken this family in my book to a bed of snakes that can't stop biting each other so they they can't get out of their own way wow that's awesome that's awesome great visual with that <laughs> i really appreciate coming on you have a fantastic evening you too thank you very much good night good night Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. Hey, hey. You're too late.